The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. Thank you so much for coming to worship with us here at Ambassador. Well, we're currently in our series entitled The God Who Builds, going through the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. And we've been looking uh, through the book, going verse by verse. Now, as we've seen, Nehemiah, he was the governor of Jerusalem during some very difficult times for the nation of Israel. And yet, it's been awesome to see how even during those difficult times, uh, God was doing some amazing building work in the nation of Israel. And the theme for our series has simply been, God often does his greatest building at the very place of our most agonizing brokenness. And this morning, pastor's going to come and preach from Nehemiah chapter number four on the God who builds through adversity. Pastor will be preaching through the entire chapter of Nehemiah four, but we're going to look at verses six through nine for our scripture reading. Nehemiah chapter number 4, beginning in verse number 6. The Bible says, So built we the wall, and the wall was joined together unto the half thereof. For the people had a mind to work. But it came to pass that when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the breaches began to be stopped, then they were very wroth, they were very angry. And conspired all of them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. This morning, Pastor is going to come and preach a message entitled, The God Who Builds Through Adversity. This week, we are in chapter number four. We're going to do our very best to get through the entire chapter, if at all possible. But as we kind of begin here, have, have you ever seen one of these commercials? Maybe you're watching TV uh, for uh, one of these prescription drugs. How many of you have seen these? All right, they're usually a little bit longer. They're like one minute, and uh, it has something to do with some ailment that this particular miracle drug is going to take care of. And, and usually it's about 15 seconds telling you about this particular prescription. And then the last 45 Five seconds is basically telling you all of the negative side effects that you're going to experience if you take their medication. How many of you have seen these commercials before? And you know, it's some commercial for like, you know, itchy, watery eyes. And you're thinking to yourself, I live in the Central Valley. I get itchy, watery eyes sometimes. Any of you guys get allergies? You know, some of you get that. You're thinking, okay, maybe this will help. And so they're talking about it, talking it up, making it seem like such a big thing. And then they start listing all the negative side effects. You know, now side effects may include, you know, headaches. You're thinking, well, I, I don't know what's what's worse, you know, itchy eyes or, or headaches. And you're kind of like trying to figure that thing. But they don't stop with headaches. And then the negative side effects just keep going. Uh, it may also include nausea, you know, chest pains, excessive body odor. And you're sitting there thinking, man, I, I really don't know if this is worth it. You know, I just had some itchy eyes. I just, you know, had a little scratchy throat. And then they go on, possibly loss of bladder control, receding hairline, uniform brow, you know, and you're just like, man, this, this doesn't seem, uh, this doesn't seem good at all. And in extreme cases, you might even become a Raiders fan, you know? And so it's just, you, you, you just, you never, oh man, did we go too far with that one? I mean, how many of you have seen these commercials before? You're just like, what, what, this, is, this is horrible. And uh, in, in some degree, we, we're going through Nehemiah, chapters number one, chapters number two, chapters number three, and, and it's this idea of a dream that God has placed on the heart of this man, Nehemiah. Chapter number four gets really interesting because in some ways, it's, it's kind of like a, um, what we might call the, the negative side effects 
of what happens when you start to pursue a God-given dream. Because up to this point, it's like, He's got a vision, he's praying, he's fasting, he's got the king on his side, helping him, supporting him, and you get to chapter number four, and it's just like, man, it all starts to kind of fall apart a little bit. The challenges start to emerge, and Nehemiah chapter number four really does serve as kind of the negative side effects for pursuing a God-given dream. Now, 2 Timothy chapter number three, verse 12, tells us that all those who live godly shall suffer persecution. You see, God gives us a promise that as we pursue a God-given dream, there are going to be challenges. There's going to be adversity. There are going to be obstacles that stand in our way. And really, there's no way around it. So uh, for our theme this morning, I want you to see it as simply this, that the side effects of pursuing a God-given dream include resistance, adversity, opposition, and challenges. And so we're going to just dive right into it. I hope you'll allow me to take a few moments as we work through chapter number four. And I want to just kind of share with you uh, just a little bit of an overview. We're going to march through the chapter, and then we'll stop with the opportunity to just kind of give you some application here a little bit. So let's just start here with verse number one. The Bible says in Nehemiah 4, But it came to pass that when Samballot heard that we had built the wall, he was wroth, he was angry, he was mad, and took great indignation and, and mocked the Jews. So here we see this guy Sanballat again. Now we already met him in chapter number two, but we find him again in chapters number four. You're going to see him come back in chapter number six and eventually in chapter number 13, this guy Sanballat. And as you know, this guy was just there to make Nehemiah's life miserable. Uh, We might refer to him in our day and age as a hater. Uh, Any of you have a hater in your life? It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you say. Like nothing's good enough for this particular person. And that's Sam Ballot. And uh, he just he couldn't stand what God was using Nehemiah to accomplish. And so he gets angry. He gets mad. Uh, he wants to be able to exploit Jerusalem, all right? He was a governor from another province. And when, they, when the walls were down, Sam Ballot could get in and he could exploit the people. Now, if the walls go up, it's going to be much more difficult for him to exploit the people there in Jerusalem. And so he doesn't want these walls going up. And so as he hears about this dream, as he hears about these plans... He gets really upset. He gets really mad. Notice verse 2. Then he spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria. So he gets his people together and he says, What do these feeble Jews, will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in the day? Will they, he, will they revive the stones out of the heap of the rubbish which are burned? And so here in verse number two, he, he starts talking to his friends. He starts talking to the other people in his city and he starts rallying a crowd. And this is what often happens with critics. If you have a critic in your life, if you've ever experienced criticism or adversity from the hands of another, you find that very rarely do they want to keep their criticism to themselves. In fact, more often than not, they want to get, they want to get other people involved with them to, to go against you, to be your critic. And, and that's what happens here. Sam Ballot kind of gets others involved. He rallies a crowd. I'll throw this on the screen, but oftentimes when a toxic person can no longer control you, they will attempt to control how others see you, how others view you, 
While the slander will seem unfair, if your identity is anchored to who Christ says you are, then you can rise above it and eventually others will begin to see the truth as well. But Sam Ballot, he wasn't content with just being a critic of Nehemiah. He wanted to get everybody around him to criticize him as well. Notice verse 3. Now Tobiah, this is another one of uh, uh, Samballot's friends, the Ammonite, was by him. And he said, even that which they build, if a fox go up on it, he shall even break down the stone wall. And so they're just kind of like starting to make fun of what's going on here. Basically, uh, he's saying right here what we find in uh, verse number 3 is Tobiah, one of Samballot's friends, says, Man, if, if, if even a little fox climbs onto this wall that they're building, it's, it's totally going to fall apart. And they just start mocking them. And, and if you've had a critic in your life, you realize that they just start to ridicule, they just start to mock, they just start to make fun. So what does Nehemiah do? Verses number four and five, as you read this, hear, O our God. So Nehemiah, the first thing he does when he gets this criticism, the first thing Nehemiah does is when he hears about this opposition, this adversity in his life, he talks to God. Now, this is, this is incredibly wise. Because if you're like me, the first thing you want to do is respond to your critic. Am I the only one who, who, who does this? Somebody starts criticizing you. Somebody starts getting a bunch of other people to criticize you with them. And the first thing you want to do is you want to justify yourself. You, you, want, to, you want to prove to them why, why you're not what they think you are. That's not what Nehemiah does. He just goes to God. He prays. He literally turns them over to God. He doesn't try to argue. He doesn't try to explain. You get down here to verse number six. And the Bible says, So built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together under the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. You say, what did Nehemiah do when he was getting criticized, when the adversity was coming, when the opposition was coming? He prays to God, and then he just keeps on working. He just keeps on going. And I want to say for a believer whose heart is fixed on Christ, when you have critics in your life and you have adversity come upon you and there is opposition, you know what the best thing you can do? Go to God, you pray, you turn it over to the Lord, and then you just keep on moving forward. Don't give the critics the time of day. Don't let them get in your head. Don't let their voices just continue, continue to badger you down. You give it to God, and then you follow the Spirit of God. You don't quit. You keep moving, and you let your actions speak for you. You let what you're doing for God be your answer to the critics. I want to remind you, Ultimately, you answer to God, not your haters. You answer to Him. And if you're doing what God's Spirit's leading you to do in time, even the critics will come around. Even your haters will come around. You'll see them and and God will give you, God will justify you. God will take revenge. Notice verse number seven here. He says, but it came to pass that when Sembalat and Tobiah, Nehemiah's enemies, and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites and heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the breaches began to be stopped or the gaps in the wall, they were beginning to be built up. Notice what it says. Then they were very raw. See, Uh, The people of Jerusalem would not be as vulnerable if these breaches, if these gaps in the walls were repaired. And so Nehemiah's enemies and the enemies of Jerusalem were getting really, really irritated. They were getting extremely frustrated because they realized if this dream came to fruition, if this wall got built, they would no longer be able to exploit the people of Israel. 
And this just made them angry. And I want to say to you, oftentimes the reason you make people upset is because you get to a place where now they can no longer control you. They can no longer exploit you. They can no longer use you for their purposes. And so it makes them angry because they want people around them they can control. They want people around them that can serve their happiness and serve their pleasure and do what they want you to do. And so when you get to a place where you're saying, no, I've got to follow God rather than man. I've got to do what God's calling me to do. It's going to irritate those people who anchor their pleasure and anchor their happiness and anchor their joy to how you perform and how to you behave this happens in marriages spouses get to a place where they can only be happy if my spouse behaves this way and does this thing and talks this way and all of a sudden they find themselves in a situation when the spouse will no longer serve their pleasure and serve their happiness then they're not good for anything it makes it makes it makes it makes them angry and upset and frustrated and that's why Shambhala, Tobiah, they're getting, they're getting frustrated here because they realize they can't control Nehemiah. He's no longer, they're no longer to be, be vulnerable to the enemy's manipulation. So we get to verse number eight and verse number nine. The Bible says, and they conspired all of them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. So the enemies say, we're taking them down. Yeah, we were just mocking them before. We were just making fun of them before. It was all with our words before. But then there came a moment and they said, you know what? <laughs> the enemy says it's, it's, it's going further than just talk now. We're no longer just going to ridicule. We're no longer just going to mock. Now we are physically going to do something to make their lives miserable. How many of you have had a hater in your life like that? <laughs> like they, they, they talk and you're like, man, it's really frustrating. They make you ir- irritated and they aggravate you. And then some point, something clicks and it goes from just being words until now they are starting to behave in a way. They're starting to do things to frustrate you and to oppose you as you're trying to follow out and live out what God is calling you to do. And, and that's what's taking place right here in verse number eight. Nevertheless, verse number nine, what does Nehemiah do? Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto God and, I love this, set a watch against them day and night because of them. Now, this is awesome, all right? So here's Nehemiah. The enemy says, hey, we're done just talking. We're opposing you physically. We're, we're going to make war with you. We are going to make your life miserable. And all of us have had haters and critics in our lives who just are ridiculing us and mocking us. And then eventually they get to a place where they physically, with their behaviors and their actions, they, they start kind of going to war against what you're doing. And here's what Nehemiah says, nevertheless, we prayed to God again. What a great response. What, what does he do? He prays to God. But I, I love this. And set a watch against them. So Nehemiah is not stupid. <laughs> Nehemiah is not dumb. What Nehemiah says is, hey, ultimately it's a spiritual battle. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. So we got to go to God. We got to take this issue to him. However, Nehemiah is not stupid. And so he also sets up, sets up a watch. I, I love the balance between the spiritual and the practical here. See, there are some Christians who think, well, if I just pray, that'll be enough. And there's a great place to pray. You should always start with praying. But a wise Christian will also allow the word of God to inform how they respond to these situations. And so Nehemiah doesn't go on the offensive here, 
But he's very wise and he's very shrewd to make sure he has a strong defense. That nobody is going to hinder what God is attempting to accomplish in that place. And so strong leaders do that. Strong leaders say, this is, this is for God. We're going to take this to the Lord in prayer. We don't need to answer every critic. We don't need to answer everything that somebody brings up against us. We'll let God do our talking for us. We'll let God kind of show what's going on. But we're going to be wise. We're going to be discerning. We're going to be on guard, all right? This is, this is just basic wisdom. And that's what Nehemiah here does in verses number 8 and 9. But notice verse number 10. And Judah said... The strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed. There's so much rubbish so that we are not able to build a wall. You see here now, all of a sudden, the people start getting discouraged. They're working day and night. They're trying to build this wall. Physically, it's taxing. They're just working hard. But now they have these haters, these critics who are yelling things at them. Yeah, you're never going to finish that wall. You're, so, you're, so, you're such horrible wall builders that even a little fox climbs on it. It's going to fall apart. You're no good at what you're doing anyways. Have you ever heard this before? Your critics and your haters are like, why are you even trying? You're no good at what you're trying to do, what God's calling you to do. It's not like you're carpenters. It's not like you're masons. It's not, like, it's not like you're trained to do what you're doing. You're, you're, not, you're not even any good at it. And some of you have the enemy whispering in your ear, why are you trying to live for God? Why are you trying to fulfill this pursuit of, of God's dream for your life? You ain't even any good at it. It's all going to fall apart anyways. Why try to build a family that honors God? Why try to develop a marriage that will glorify the Lord? Why try to live holy and godly in a broken world? You're not going to be able to do it anyway, so why even try? And here they are. They're just getting discouraged. And, and that's what they say. Judah, they go to him and say, We're, man, he, he says here, he just... He says in verse number 10, he says, the strength of the bears of burdens is decayed. The, the strength's gone. There's so much rubbish. It's, it, there's so much work still to be done. We feel like we've given everything and there's still so much to do and they become discouraged. Notice verse number 11. And our adversary said, they shall not know, neither see till we come in the midst among them and slay them and cause the work to cease. If our words don't stop them, we'll get a sword and we'll kill them. Eh, sounds reasonable. <laughs> you ever just felt like that? Like your, your critics are we're going to stop at nothing to just to make your pursuit of a God-given dream fall apart? Verse number 12, And it came to pass when the Jews which dwelt by them came, they said unto us, notice this, ten times. So this wasn't just once they said this. This wasn't just a couple times they said this. Ten times they say, what do, what do they say to them ten times? From all places whence she ye shall return unto us, they will be upon you. This was said again and again and again. These critics, these haters, on a regular basis just kept, kept saying, we're coming for you. We're coming for you. We're coming for you. And like this voice in their head, it just wouldn't stop. Ten times they just try to get that, get that, those, those negative thoughts in their head. Notice verse number 14. And I looked and arose up and said unto the nobles, unto the rulers, unto the rest of the people, be not afraid of them. Can I remind you of something? At the end of the day, your ultimate enemy is not the critic. Your ultimate enemy is fear. The word of God reminds us that we've not been given the spirit of fear, but of power 
and of love and a sound mind. Your greatest critic, your greatest adversary, your greatest opponent is not that person you work with. It's not that lady who's gossiping. It's not that boss who's always throwing you under the bus. Your biggest adversary is the fear that you allow to thrive in your soul. And so Nehemiah, as a strong leader, stands up and he says, fear not. Why why could he say, fear not? He could say, fear not, because he recognized that the Lord was with them. Verse number 15, what happens? And it came to pass when the enemies heard that it was known unto us and God had brought their counsel to naught. God was still working. He was still moving. The wall was still getting built that we returned all of us to the wall, every one of us unto his work. So the enemy realizes their plans have been frustrated. Then you start reading through verses number 16 through verses number 19 and Nehemiah once again lays out a detailed plan about how he's going to address this situation. Very detailed. Nehemiah as a leader is a detailed leader. He prays to God. He trusts in God. But all throughout the book of Nehemiah you see that he is organized. He knows how to plan. He knows how to put people in order. He knows how to delegate. And in verses number 16 through verses number 19, he lays out a very specific plan of, okay, this group is going to do that. That group is going to do those things. You're going to stand. You're going to have a hammer in one hand. You're going to have a sword at your side. We're going to work, and we're going to work around the clock. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be awesome. And so they just, he lays out this plan. And then in verse number 20, he says, okay, we got this plan, right? This plan's good. And then he says in verse number 20 here, he says, in what place thereof you hear the sound of the trumpet? resort ye thither unto us why our God shall fight for us so he lays out this masterful plan as an administrator as an organizer and then he ends it with this at the end of the day it's not going to be our organization it's not going to be how focused we are at the end of the day it will be God who will fight for us it is him in which our heart trusts and I want to say to you have your plans organize administrate be wise but let your heart posture rest in your confidence on who God is who he made you to be and what he can and wants to do through your life your confidence your spirit has to always rest in the lord even while you're doing what god calls you to do he says god will fight for us verse number 21 he says so we labored in the work and half of them held the spears from the rising of the morning till the stars appeared verse 22 likewise at the same time said i unto the people let every one with his servant lodge within jerusalem that in the night they may be a be a guard to us and labor in the day so we come to verse number 22 and all this opposition and all of this adversity in verse number 22 all these people who are serving in the surrounding cities like we talked about a couple of weeks ago they all decide to move into Jerusalem they all decide to bind together in this work so they can knock this thing out and so what the enemy was trying to do in dividing them What actually ended up happening is it brought them together in a spirit of fortified unity. And when we respond properly to adversity, and as a church, in a marriage, in a family, when adversity is responded to properly, it does not divide, but it actually draws us together. That is the capability of adversity. So let me just give you a few thoughts as we wrap it up today. Just a couple of applications from this chapter that we studied this morning. Number one, always keep your focus on God. 
always keep your focus on God. We see this time and time again. The critics try to distract. They try to discourage. And here we see Nehemiah just encouraging them to keep their focus on God. Stay focused on his will. Staying focused on the promises that he's given. Stay focused on who God declares you to be. Stay focused on who he says that you are. The psalmist said in Psalms 57 verse 7, my heart is fixed, O God. My heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. The psalmist, just like Nehemiah said, hey, I'm focused on God. Regardless of what the critics say, regardless, regardless of what the haters say, my heart is fixed. Can I remind you that sometimes the greatest miracles God does is not in our circumstances, but rather in our minds? You've got some things going on. You've got haters. You've got critics. You've got adversity. You've got challenges. And you go cry out to God, God, fix my circumstances. And God says, you're you're crying out, God, give me a miracle. And God says, I I will give you a miracle. And the miracle I want to do, and I'm not going to fix your circumstances. I want to fix your thinking. I want you to get you focused on, on me. Number two, second application. Evaluate where the opposition is coming from. Here in verse number two, we're going to see where Nehemiah gets counsel. We're going to see where he, he leans into authority. But in this case, he, he was very wise to recognize where the opposition was coming from. He recognized that in Sanballat and Tobiah, these were not people of God. These were not people who had a love for the things of God. They did not have uh, their best interest in mind. So I would encourage you to ask yourself, when opposition comes into your life, when it feels like opposition comes into your life, where's it coming from? From a spiritual person or an unspiritual person? It's good to weigh that out a little bit. Is this someone who's faithful to the will of God or unfaithful to the will of God? Because there might be times when somebody speaks something in your life and it feels uncomfortable, but it's what God has for you. And so you need to evaluate where this feeling the sense of opposition is coming from is this somebody who's faithful to the will of god is this someone who has a reputation for being frustrated and aggravated all the time or is this someone who has a reputation for being at peace and calm in the midst of very difficult seasons do they have a reputation for that you want to weigh this thing out you want to know where this opposition this sense of kind of uh uh you know encouragement is maybe coming from is it someone who's known for being critical all the time or is this coming from somebody who, who generally has a, has a heart just to, to encourage you and, and to bless you? Where is it coming from? Is it someone who's focused on building themselves up? Or is it someone who's, who's always focused on building up others? You want to evaluate where the opposition is coming from. Because what you don't want to have happen is somebody who loves you, somebody who loves God, somebody who sees something in your life as a brother or sister, and they try to gently and graciously speak into your life. You don't want to oppose them. The Bible says in Proverbs, faithful are the wounds of a friend. And so you want to know, where is this coming from? Is this coming from a Sam Ballard or Tobiah, or is this coming from a a faithful friend? Evaluate where it's coming from. In the case of Nehemiah, man, it was coming from a hater. Somebody didn't love God, didn't love him, wasn't encouraging, frustrated, was just trying to exploit them. So you know what? Nehemiah decided, I don't have to give this person the time of day. And you know what? There are some people in your life You just need to stop giving what they say to you any weight. Stop letting it play over in your head. You know, if that person at work and and they're just always ornery and cranky to everybody and they don't have a heart for God, they don't have a heart for you, stop giving their comments weight. Stop replaying it over and over again in your head. It's not coming from a healthy source. You don't have to hold on to it. (laughs) 
Charles Spurgeon, how many of you are familiar with Charles Spurgeon? He used to call him the great prince of preachers back in the 20th century. <laughs> he was very eloquent. This was back in England. So he had kind of an eloquent way of saying different things. He said this on the subject. He said, get your friends to tell you your faults. Or better still, welcome an enemy who will watch you keenly and sting you savagely. What a blessing such an irritating critic will be to a wise man. What an intolerable nuisance to a fool. (laughs) You know what? God can even use the critics in your life to serve in your sanctification. Third application. Allow adversity to strengthen your resolve and unity. See, Nehemiah could have allowed this adversity to divide, but rather he chose to allow it to cause him to recommit and resolve afresh and anew. What do you do under pressure? When the critics come, when the haters come, how do you respond? Does it, does it stir in you a fresh resolve for the things of God? I must be on the right path. I'm getting some opposition. God said everybody who lives godly in Christ Jesus is going to have some opposition. I must be on the right path. Amen. Praise the Lord. It brought unity. Let it do its work. Let, let trials have its perfect work. Let it re- bring resolve to, to pursue the things of God. Let it bring a sense of unity around you. Proverbs 24 says, If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. Oh, ask God for the grace and strength as you look to him, to see him as the, the, the author and finisher of your faith. You know what? God can keep that which you've committed unto him against that day, the scriptures tell us. See, the, the pessimist complains about the wind. The optimist expects it to change. The realist just simply adjusts his sails. He's just flexible. He just rolls with it. He just carries on. Lastly, lastly, let God fight your battles for you. I know when things don't go the way you want them to go, there's a tendency to have to superimpose yourself into every situation. There have been moments I've been referred to as a weak leader because rather than defending myself in some situation, just, okay, let the Lord have that one. I'm not saying that the Spirit of God won't at times lead you to to speak into a situation. But honestly, more often than not, when it's somebody attacking you, let it go. If they're attacking somebody else, then stand up for them. Let God be your defender. Let him be your justifier. You don't always have to justify yourself and excuse yourself. Let God do that. Romans 12 verse 19 says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place under wrath. For it is written, vengeance or revenge is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. My friends, Just like there are some side effects to all the prescription medication we find in our world today, there are also many side effects that go along with pursuing a God-given dream. Don't think for a moment you're going to pursue what God's called you to do and there not be adversity, resistance, and opposition. Can I say this? Count on it. I did not get into the role that I got into expecting everything to just be rainbows and roses. And you can't expect that if you're going to pursue a God-given dream, that it's not going to come without some opposition and some obstacles. 
It's a part of the journey. Expect it and then put your trust in the one who can do something about it. So I leave you with this. I know it's difficult, but it's the difficult that makes it worth it. So here's our takeaway and we'll be done. Stick and stay and make it pay. God's called you to build, build. He's called you to lean into your family, you lean into your family. He's called you to that marriage, man, just focus on that marriage. Stick and stay, make it pay. We have too many people who opt out too quickly and are not able to experience the the, the unique grace that God gives to those who simply endure and persevere through challenges, resistance, adversity, and hardship. There's, There's unique blessings that come to those who simply persevere through difficult challenges with their children. Difficult challenges when it comes to their marriage. Difficult challenges when it comes to work and in their spiritual life. And so I want to say whatever realm it is that you're struggling with, my, simply come to a place where you're willing to say, I'm going to stick and stay and make it pay. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.